Hello everyone, my name is Andrew Montlake, but you can call me Monty, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the very first episode of Pathfinders. The Pathfinder podcast is about the journeys we take in business and in our life. It's about the fact that the destination is not the be-all and end-all, it's the paths we take along the way that is a real journey. It is this that defines us and makes us who we are today. I've always loved talking to people, and in doing so over the years, and especially so recently, have found that many have remarkable stories to tell. Stories that we can all learn from and relate to, that will make you look differently at that person when you learn about their real journey rather than the one we all assume. So I'm setting out to meet real people who've inspired me, both within the mortgage, property and finance industry and outside it, to hear their stories and learn from the paths they have taken, the successes and failures that have led them to become who they are today. We all have a story to tell, and perhaps their story will resonate with yours and make you realise that you are never alone. We are all pathfinders finding our way in the world. First up, I'm delighted to be joined by someone I've always admired within the property industry. In a world where everyone seems to think they are an entrepreneur, today's guest, Ying Tang, really is a successful one. Ying has a background in investment banking and accounting, as well as buy-to-let portfolio that led him into the mortgage world, and is a forward-thinking, innovative and dynamic entrepreneur with a proven track record who thrives in founding, scaling and exiting businesses. He founded the buy-to-let business, later to become Dynamo, in February 2006 and exited in May 2021, having turned his company into one of the leading mortgage brokers in the UK. Ying started to create a substantial profitable property portfolio in 1996 and has been instrumental in the success of numerous property investors worldwide. Not only that, he's a board advisor, fintech enthusiast, angel investor, speaker and a successfully published author who is currently exploring further investment advisor opportunities for entrepreneurial businesses who want to achieve their dreams. I'm sure his story will be of interest to you. This is the Pathfinder podcast. May the path you take be the right one for you. Ying, welcome. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. <laughs> wow, I mean, I'm honoured that I am the first guest and, and what a what a great title and what a great um, podcast to bring to the community that, you know, that it's all about, um, you know, choosing and finding the right path and, and no one person is exactly the same. And, and you know, like you, I've uh, always... Um, really enjoyed inspiring people and uh, helping people learn from my good things and indeed the bad things so hopefully um, yeah. i can share some golden nuggets today yeah good i hope so it's um yeah you you sort of became the natural choice to be my my oh, first right. guest actually because i was reading your book oh, wow, and i'm still go. reading your book so i must confess i haven't finished it yet but it's a good book don't push too many trolleys and we'll, we'll come on to that um in due course but um I wanted to start first off with just saying, you know, how are you? <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, really good, mate. Really good. Um, life uh, since exiting Dynamo has been been good. Obviously, a, a little bit more in the slow lane, which is mm. uh, really great. Um, you know, I spend my time now, obviously, with my family and yeah. in my advisory positions and investments. I do a bit of property development, um, although I can barely, uh, you know, uh, change a 
change a nut or, uh, or, 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 or <laughs> you're not like a hand no, on. Not the most hands on. Hands. I'm good at directing. No. Yeah. At it. Far too no, soft. <laughs> Far too Far soft. Too soft. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at directing. So uh, yeah, doing a couple of uh, property investments in Hampstead at the moment. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, life is good. Um, but uh, you know, keeping myself at a mischief, as they say. And you've got your big family. Yes. So five kids. Yes. In. Well, I had three boys. Yeah. You think that's pretty, well, I guess, normalish. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, you kind of say, well, it'd be really nice to have. Um, you know, uh, a girl, wouldn't it? And my wife said, yeah, but, you know, got twins in the house. I said, don't be silly, twins. <laughs> That's never going to happen. Oh, my God. Yeah, there you go. Uh, sod's law, as they say. And, uh, yes, uh, my eldest is now 18 going to university or wow. planning to go to university. My youngest yeah. two girls are three years old. So, um, you know, it's uh, they're an absolute joy. Um, but, um, yeah. yeah, I got my hands full. Um, or I should say, I support my wife who's got her hands full. <laughs> And that's interesting because mm. it, it it's like you always wanted to have a good fam a, yeah. a big family. Yeah. And actually reading your book, um, you know, obviously I'm interested in your journey and how you get to where you, you are today, but one of the things that really comes through from the book is how family and family values really seems to pervade through mm. everything you do. Where where does that come from? Is that something from an early age? Yes, got? it's definitely from an early age. My my father hitchhiked, uh, hitchhiked, shall I say, um, from Malaysia to uh, here in England in yeah. 1957, I think wow. it was. He was 19 years old. And, you know, you and I, you know, we're clearly not as old as that. But imagine what we were doing at 19. Yeah. We certainly weren't hitchhiking halfway around the world. <laughs> How yeah. long did that take him? Four and a half months. Wow. Um, he kind of took a, a ferry or not a ferry, a boat, I guess, to Sri Lanka and then kind of worked his way through uh, India, um, Pakistan, to yeah. the Middle East, um, kind of down to... Um, you know, Italy, Greece, Italy, and then up through France. So, um, yeah, amazing. And, you know, it's probably a whole podcast um, session in itself, just talking about some of his trials and tribulations. Yeah, I but, can imagine. You know, if, if you're talking about where where that kind of drive and hunger comes from, I guess it's from, you know, the, that DNA of, you know, setting a goal like my dad set. Mm. He was the eldest of 12 children. He had a small village um, in in Malaysia, you know, if you visualise, you know, chickens in the garden yeah. and cows roaming around, that, yeah. that was the village. Wow. Um, and I guess he felt the big burden of responsibility being the eldest of 12 children. Mm. Um, and he wanted to better his life. Um, so he'd been reading loads of newspapers and going, you know, uh, you know, hitchhiking, a lot of people hitchhiking from Europe over to Asia. What about going the other way? And obviously it was the Commonwealth then, so the, the, the kind of borders were open from Malaysians, mm. part of Commonwealth mm. uh, to England. So he set on his journey and... Like I said, he had twenty pounds in his pocket. You know, when he was in India, he, um, you know, um, got chucked into jail. In Pakistan, oh, wow. he almost died of food poisoning, and he, oh, he went Lord. with his guy, Monty. And yeah. you know, you kind of think you, you know, you're kind of camaraderie and all that type of stuff. But you know, it was survival of the fittest. Mm. And my dad got food poisoning. The doctor said he, he was fifty-fifty whether he was going to make it. And the wow. um, the person he was with actually took his belongings um, and you know continued the journey and left him, as they say, for for dead. So, um, you know, I think, and, but my dad was very forgiving. He never kind of, you know, in fact, when he knew I was writing a book, he, mm. he, he never really wanted me to be so explicit to kind of probably say the true uh, hardship he faced during that mm. time. But I think a lot of my drive and hunger comes from that DNA, you know, that, that, that vision that he set that he wanted to better his life. There was, once he started that journey, there was no turning back. Yeah. Um, you know, there was times in, in the Middle East where he was, you know, sleeping under um, bridges and schools mm. and, 
you know, the blistering heat, walking in the desert for, yeah. for hours upon hours. But, you know, he made the journey. And one of the stories that always sticks out at me is, was literally at the final gate because he'd run out of money, was at Calais and wanted to get across. And the captain from a ship kept walking past him and said, I think it was the third day, he said, son, I've seen you there a few times. What are you doing? He goes, you know, I've trekked all this way from Malaysia. I want to get across to the UK. So he, the captain looked at him and said, look, why don't you come with me? My dad was obviously ecstatic. Um, mm. And he put him on uh, no cost um, onto the uh, boat and, and went across on his journey. The first job he actually got when he got to England was working as a kitchen hand in uh, Marble Arch. Um, right. The okay. Cumberland Hotel. I think yeah. it's uh, the hard yeah, rock yeah. now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and um, with his first paycheck, he promised that he would pay the man back, you know, because that was what he's promised. And as one of the traits that's always stuck with mm. me is if you say you're going to do something, you do it. Yeah. And he did that and paid him back. And, you know, many people, I think the one thing that's really taught me uh, about that journey um, is the ripple effect that people can have on your lives. You know, if my dad didn't have that perseverance, so that captain didn't allow him to come on the ship and all the many people helped him along his way. Mm. I wouldn't be sitting here. I know it's pretty obvious saying it, but I wouldn't yeah. be sitting here having this podcast with you telling me you about my journey. And I think sometimes, I know it can be a little bit deep, but, you know, if we step back and we kind of visualise, you know, the impact that everything we do mm. in life has a ramification and ripple on, on other things that are going on. And to realise that it's not just about you, it's much bigger than that. The decisions mm. you make are, are much bigger than what we just do for ourselves. So so that's, I think, where that, that, that drive and hunger and, and desire to do well comes from. That's really interesting. And that, that's something that I've always been interested in. Is, is And that shows so much about his character and obviously that's come through into your character. If you say you're going to do something, but also never forget those who help you, you along the journey. And actually, I see that quite a lot. Um, certainly my experience, sometimes some of the people you help aren't quite so remembering of, of yeah. what you've done for them and, yeah. uh, and et cetera. And that's, that's one thing that and it's that easy, always uh, upset and me. It's, yeah, and, and it's easy to be bitter because, hang on, you know, mm. I opened a few doors or whatever it was. And, I think, and it's easy to kind of, you know, be... Angry is not the right word, but you know, yeah, you know, you're yeah. upset. Well, how come you remembered what what I did? But yeah. I try, and I know it's maybe it's the Buddhist in me, but I try to forgive, you mm. know, and try and say, well, okay, everyone is different, right? Everyone has different ways of expressing themselves. Everyone has different ways of doing things, and you know, um, and you know, I'm a big believer mm. in karma, and um, you know, I'll continue to do what I do, yeah. and, and know that to be fair, the majority are thankful. The the majority are showing gratitude, and it makes me hu hugely. You know, happy when I see you know people on LinkedIn, former staff, for example, you know, doing posts and, and yeah. saying, you know, thank you, you know, um, for, for giving me the opportunity. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, small things like that give me more satisfaction than some of, dare I say, some of the bigger, more material things. Um, yeah. Because it shows you've impacted in some of yeah, your life. So. absolutely. But, yeah, you know, I mean, that I think that's where my drive comes from. My mum and dad, you know, but that was just the beginning of the story because, obviously, they came here and they struggled. You know, my mum and dad had two jobs for all of their life in the 80s, late 80s, mm. when interest rates are, were shooting up. Yeah. I'm sure some can resonate given our current macroeconomic and climate about that. Um, you know, they had two jobs. My dad was a cleaner. wasn't a traditional kind of Chinese immigrant who had a takeaway shop or anything like that. You know, he had a a second job as a cleaner in, in a local hospital my dad uh, my mum was um working in a factory putting boxes you know boxing the perfumes together mm. so and you see them work hard at that you know and you kind of come back at 10 o'clock and they still make sure there's food on the table for you they make sure you know you've got you know, nice clothes to wear and all that type of stuff you know i was, I was spending 100 pounds on air jordan trainers back then <laughs> and i'm thinking i don't even spend that money on my kids now you know and but they made it work for me they yeah. wanted to give me and i think yeah. You know, that, that background I came from just made me very driven 
to um, you know to be successful, you know, yeah. however you deem success. So, what were you like as a kid? Were you a were you were you were you a tear <coughs> away or? I was um, well. I grew up in a council estate, yeah. so I was relatively streetwise. Um, you know, I um, got into lots of flights. You know, had mm. my fair few uh, black eyes and, and whatnot, and um, and you know it was pretty tough. But I was very sporty, and I think you know people often ask about my childhood and was it difficult? Did I experience racism, for example? And mm. you know, I was a kid. You know, there were there were kids who would refer to me as chinky, yeah. or they would refer to the food that Chinese food that we eat as chinky yeah. and all yeah. that, and and. I didn't like it. Mum used to tell me and say, "Look, stand up to them. Don't don't allow mm. that." And I did. Um, and I think some of it was rightly or wrongly, well, wrongly clearly, but it was not that they were being mean or horrible. But it was just the culture in the eighties that that was normal mm. or accepted. But I always stood up to it, and I think I was sporty and relatively streetwise. And because of that, I earned the respect of my peers, and and certainly I, I mm. often credit. And this shows gratitude. My my sports teacher at school when I was um, growing up, I remember reaching out to him when I was like in my early 20s to thank him for everything that he did because he made me captain of my of the football team, right. the cricket team. And I generally think while I wasn't a vocal person, you know, just barking orders, mm. I was led by example. And I think that gave me the confidence and gave the other people around me, you know, the, the hard kids and the, the, um, the, you know, the kids from the estates and things to give me the respect, um, which helped me kind of get on in life, I guess. Mm. So, and I generally... Um, use those uh, examples as giving me the platform for the business success I've had, you know. Um, and and again, it's showing that gratitude. And 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 you know, you talk about a path. You know, I, I generally think you know him making me captain, even though I was the only non-white person in my school. Mm. That I wasn't necessarily very vocal, but I worked hard. Um, you know, that that small um, token that he gave me, mm. I, I think, shaped my life. Um, so you so you were singled out as a as a potential leader back then. Yeah. Really, and that that's really interesting. So, so what? Are, so, talking about paths, what, mm. what, where did you think your first path? What, what was your first planned path, mm. so to speak? Where did you, where did you think that um, you know teenaging would um, would end up? Apart well, from playing for Liverpool, for Liverpool was was the dream that clearly <laughs> would never ever happen. Um, but you know, um, I certainly dreamt about it when I was young, like most kids uh, growing up. Mm. Um, uh, so I guess um, I came from a Chinese, Asian, East Asian background, so it was very much education, education. You know, yeah. my um, I've got a sister who's ten years older than me. She's a qualified accountant, um, although she wanted to be a doctor when she was young. So it was very much you be a doctor, you be an accountant, you be an engineer. Those yeah, type of professions, very traditional, very traditional. So uh, that was the route I took. I took an accounting finance degree um, at Kingston. I'm a qualified accountant. But I've never practiced as an accountant. I never envisaged I would be an accountant for the rest of my life. But I, I, I kind of use those professional qualifications as my kind of uh, insurance policy that yeah. if the entrepreneurial dream, you know, because you don't need, you don't have to be an MBA graduate from Harvard to become a businessman. You know, you mm. could be leave school at 16, right? No, absolutely. Um, but by having those qualifications gave me the insurance policy. If things didn't work out, I could have something to fall back on. Um, so, so I guess the young always wanted to be an entrepreneur. You know, I mentioned my mum worked at the factory. She would get secondhand, or not secondhand, seconds, I should say, uh, perfume. Um, and I would sell that. You know, I'd go to school and she'd buy it for 50p and I'd sell it for £2.50. Right. And I guess that was my kind of early <laughs> stage of entrepreneurship. I'd go to Blackbush Market, which at the time was the biggest market in, in, in South East England. And yeah. I'd go and buy crisps, you know, big bulk buy crisps and things and sell them individually for like a 100% markup. So I guess that was my early kind of venture into entrepreneurship. So you had it in you yeah, I from think a young so. age. That's I, really cool. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. And I'd have gone to the sweet shop, you know, with a local kind of corner shop um, yeah. nearby and I'd go in there 
And I remember having this conversation with one of the guys saying, you know, if you want to make more sales, you, you need to position your, you know, your top selling items in the middle. So it's within the eye line and that type of stuff. And I guess as I reflect on it now, um, even talking to you, I guess I had that kind of entrepreneurship blood in me quite young, even though the yeah. family didn't because, you know, that's a risk. You know, even when I left, uh, and I'm sure we'll come on to it after, you know, my six figure salary at Goldman Sachs. Yeah. I was 26 years old and you know, wanted to start the buy to let business or go into my own. My mum's like, what are you crazy? You've got a good job there. You're <laughs> yeah. on a good career path. Why, why would you want to chuck yeah. that in? And, you know, it took me a while until the business was at a stage where, you know, uh, mum said, oh, you know, you made the right choice. But, you know, I was well into my kind of early 30s by then. So, yeah, it's, um, I, I guess, so, so going back to your question, Monty, it was very much, uh, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but knew that I had to do certain things to give me the platform first. And, of yeah. course, being an accountant is, is massively helpful yeah. in running businesses. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The one thing that I, I really like, it, again, it shows a lot about you and, and and your character. And I'm sure if there's any youngsters listening, they will not understand mm. this. You went to UBS, was it? Yes. For free? Yes. What, WTF? Yeah, <laughs> I think, exactly. I think it's a phrase That's, that's there. what most of the kids what, would be saying. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so why was that and what did that give you? Yeah, I mean, I, I went to Kingston University, which was an OK university, but it wasn't a Russell group. It wasn't Oxford or Cambridge. Um, and, you know, my, my A-levels and my degree were OK, mm. uh, but they were not exceptional. Um, and I knew that for me to get ahead in life, I had to kind of people had to see me and not just a piece of paper. And, you know, I applied for hundreds of jobs, you know, when I was at university and turned down accountancy, chartered accountancy, yeah. casual, all the big six. Um, but luckily... Um, through my sister's friends, luckily she was 10 years older than me and she knew people, you know, was more higher up in the career ladder that they secured some work experience for me. And they said, but the downside, Ying, unfortunately, is you're not going to get paid. I said, it's not an issue. And they were like, shocked, you don't mind? That's not an issue at all. How long do you need to work for? And this wasn't a week or two weeks, you know, this went on for, you know, the whole summer holidays, mm. for two summer holidays. And I guess for me, it was allowed me to get into the role, to work hard and to be noticed. And it's about... You know, that, that short-term pain, clearly, because, mm. you know, I'm not getting paid, but for the long-term gain. And I generally think those opportunities I did, you know, to this day, you know, if you ask about my background, I, I still say I was one of the youngest vice presidents at Goldman Sachs at the age of 26. Yeah. You know, my investment, and that's 20 years ago, but still part of my story. Yeah. Um, and I, I would not have been that if I hadn't had... Uh, the opportunity to work at UBS and uh, for free, but then offered a job. You know, I think my first job I was earning about, you know, when I graduated in 96, you know, 20, 25 grand, which is mm. a lot of money back then. Mm. And there's no way I would have had that had I not made those initial yeah. sacrifices. And one, you know, you mentioned youngsters. My biggest challenge for some youngsters is that they're looking for instant gratification. Yeah. Always instant. Yeah. I need it now. I need it now. But yeah. I'm still an old school uh, and I believe in, you know, delayed gratification that, you know, you've got to work for what you get yeah. and if you reap what you sow. So yeah. that's the mantra I've always lived by. And I guess it's worked for me so far i've literally in the meeting before this podcast i had that conversation really? <laughs> with one of our people wow. literally it's about running team. before yeah. you can walk yeah. and actually you know this is your first year don't yeah. you know don't expect to be like some of the guys who've been here for 20 years right. just straight away but that instant gratification now is is so it's just it seems to be ingrained in mm. people I mean, even in WhatsApp, you know, if, if you send a WhatsApp message to someone and they haven't responded within, you know, yeah. a few minutes or whatever, you kind of yeah. think, oh, do they, do they not like me? Are they, are they ignoring me? <laughs> they want yeah. everything instantly. And, you know, obviously, you know, being the tech world that I am as well, you know, everything, you know, digitised, you press a button, mm. it comes out. Mm. Um, and, and there's certain things that are great to be instant, you know, don't get me wrong, but, but there's, there's certain 
traits in a person that you know I still believe are, are vitally important. And one of those is is to realize that you know certainly in, in a career and building something, you can't get respect just by turning up by who you are. Mm. You've got to work for it. You've got to earn it, and that takes time. And you know, you talked about you know some of your team. You know, when we when, when I was building Dynamo, the um you know that's the message I'd give the mortgage advisors. You know, you are going to go through pain and hardship for those six months. Mm. You're not gonna you're gonna be earning more sorry less money than you ever earned before because you know you're taking a pay cut from coming from whatever industry. Mm. But if you work hard, knuckle down, you will reap what you sow. And I'm super proud that so many people have stuck it out and gone on yeah. to build great careers uh, within the industry at Dynamo and in. Indeed, uh, elsewhere. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's one of the things that I struggle with, with, even with my own children. You know, to try and get that message. And mm. dare I say, it's easier to get through to someone you're paying and your own staff than your own children. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I can't get through to them with the, with their phones glued to their <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> glued oh, no. to their eyes. This is true. Um, so, Goldman Sachs. Then mm. that that must have been an exciting time, especially if you you know rising so quickly mm. and what was it like working there at the time and then and then that sudden decision to to upset your parents yeah. and say actually do you know what i'm going to go gonna and do, do this now yeah well goldman's was, was you know i guess it still is you know uh, it's the pinnacle of kind of investment banking mm. that's the bank everyone wanted to work for you know they used to say that and Fleet Street, where the Goldman's was, they used to have more millionaires per square meter than anywhere else in the world <laughs> yeah. and all that type of stuff. So it's like, oh, wow, I want to work for Goldman's. And working for American companies very different, you know, long hours. Mm. You know, I often kind of roll my eyes a little bit when, you know, uh, some people who work for you, they're kind of nine to five and you, they stay 10 minutes late and they're kind of moaning about it. And kind of, God, <laughs> we used to get in, you know, early hours in the morning, work late and light, go out, have mm. a few drinks and, and uh, you know, out till two o'clock in the morning entertaining and still get up for, for seven, eight o'clock to, to do the next day. You know, it's yeah. a, it was a tough, but, but yeah, we were paid well um, and, and, and obviously it was a great job. But the the moment of, of kind of quitting investment banking was uh, quite poignant, really. Um, I was, I spent a lot of time in New York, obviously being an American firm. And I was in New York um, in S- September the 10th, which was obviously the day the world yeah. changed with, with the Twin Towers. And my boss at the time asked me to come back to the UK uh, because, you know, I had to kind of finish off a project. At that time, I was a little bit grumpy because, you know, why am I going back? And I remember vividly as I walked in to the trading floor on September the 11th and, you know, um, a little bit later on, obviously, um, the, the screens were showing these Twin Towers burning down. Mm. And I remember because I was on a course before they... One of the guys was driving, flying a light aircraft around New York, um, and you could fly a light aircraft around the kind of the high-rise mm. buildings then. And I remember thinking, God, it must—you know—I hope it's not him. And he's he's crashed his, his light aircraft. Obviously, it transpired it was the jets and it was hijacked. Yeah. But seeing that fall down made me kind of reflect um, and say, you know, if I was there at the time, which you know I wasn't in the twin towers, but um, our building was like a, a block away. But you know how would have I reflected on my life? Is this what I wanted to continue to do? And the answer was very clearly it wasn't. Although I was 26, still quite young, I felt like I hadn't achieved what I wanted to achieve. I wanted to chase my entrepreneurial dream. And and, and to be fair, I've never ever earned as much money, even to this day at 47, as I was earning at Goldman Sachs at the time. But it doesn't really matter because obviously I've had a nice exit and that's where I've earned the money now. Mm. But, you know, I've never paid myself that money, but that was okay. and uh, but that was the moment that I realised that I had to leave investment banking, and um, I told my mum I'm going to go to China to to spend six months in China to mm. learn Chinese because you know I'm being Chinese but I couldn't speak Mandarin. Yeah. Um, so I spent six months there, um, and then when I came back, uh, I went full time into property. 
uh, about three or four years, I've built quite a large property portfolio, but got sick of the uh, landlords, uh, sorry, the tenants and the architects and all that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I, I'm going to set up a business. But um, And it was 2006 in a small Regis office in Guildford where uh, the bike business was founded. And um, that was really because at the time, you know, sad to say in, in our industry, but I'm mm. sure it's not a reflection of you because you were probably training at the time. But <laughs> I was thinking, um, you know, if I was going to my mortgage broker telling them what to do, when to do and how to yeah. do it. And I thought, blimey, that's the best it that they can me, do. It wasn't me, was it? It definitely wasn't me. <laughs> it was a chap in fleet. Um, oh, right, so, okay. uh, unless you relocated since then. Um, but, you know, it was... It was he wasn't um, giving me the added value I wanted mm. um, and was very much a generalist. So I said, you know, I'm going to set up a brokerage specifically for buy-to-let. It wasn't anything new or groundbreaking. There were big firms at the time, yeah. Landlord yeah, Mortgages, were, the yeah. Money Centre, you yeah. know, as big as what Dynamo is today. But um, So it was nothing groundbreaking, but I wanted to build a business which, um, you know, served um, that customer. And because I was, I'd never been a mortgage broker before, I'd never worked for a mortgage broker before, I got CMAP qualified, I had a clean slate and I kind mm. of, built something that I wanted um the, what service I wanted to receive as as a customer and kind of that was 2006 and mm. as they say the rest is history so it's it sounds like you had a real I, I, I'm picturing all of this as a film now <laughs> yeah <laughs> and as you've got, this, you've got this going to going to China that's a real proper find yourself yes. moment isn't it yeah where you're well, just trying to make sense of what do what do you to want to do and, yeah. and that's that's brilliant i can really see well that. i mean you'll laugh when i say this bit is that you know it is a find yourself yeah. moment because you know i'd party pretty hard in london at 21 to 26 mm. you know um and and i guess it's fair to say to a degree i was burnt out and yeah and when i went to china you know i stopped drinking um i shaved my hair off literally you know right okay. doing, you know like yeah. a monk type thing you and really was, went for it, it i really went for it uh, <laughs> You know, and um, uh, it was it was uh, it was eye opening. And it actually, I say I met my wife there. You know, my my um, my best mate wanted was having similar challenges mm. at work and wanted to travel. Um, and I said to him, Do you know, should we go to to China? And he said yes. So he came along. And he said, oh, by the way, I want to bring my my younger sister. I said, what are you bringing the younger sister for? We're going to be babysitting all the time. <laughs> you know, and, and that was what uh, Samantha became oh, my wife. Hilarious. So um, so we, we travelled yeah. a bit of London, um, uh, the rest of the world and, um, you know, um, but we spent six months learning Chinese, which was an amazing experience. And yeah. that was before the Beijing Olympics. So um, it was a bit more, you know, not as modern as it is now, put it that way. Yeah. I remember going to the McDonald's for the first time. It was the, the, I think it was the first McDonald's in Beijing. And it was like, <laughs> don't have a McDonald's. And it was a real novelty to have a Big Mac. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not sure it's quite film worthy, but it certainly was a big pivotal moment yeah. in, in, in my life. Oh, it was so. a great, it was, was that the trip? There's a great picture in the book of you watching the World Cup the World on Cup, the Great yeah. Wall of China. That's right. That's yeah, a, that it was brilliant. 4 0, I remember that so vividly. <laughs> 4 0 to Brazil against China. Um, and it's just one of those weird things, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere, right, Monty, and you kind of think, you know, you, you, you're hiking along the, the kind of the Great Wall, and it wasn't like a commercial area, it was really mm. run down, and you had to jump over areas, otherwise, you'd know, you fall. 50 feet down and um we'd, we'd done hiked about 30 40 kilometers and you know this guy kind of popped out from nowhere and kind of like, you know <laughs> he said do you want you know you cold you know do you, you want to keep yourself warm for the night and we said yeah we'd love to um and he kind of went away came back had all this firewood for us and he kept us warm it was brilliant and then um he goes do you want to watch the football I said, watch the football you kind of look around where would you get electricity from here <laughs> And he popped back, and guess what? There was um, a beer, which is a god save, as, as well as a black and white TV. And you know, God knows if he was like pedalling <laughs> below, but the, the electricity <laughs> was running, and we were watching the game, and it was the most surreal moment. That's really having, surreal. 
you know, uh, watching a 2002 China being the home, uh, the, uh, obviously where I was, uh, versus Brazil, the best kind of nation in the world, um, on the Great Wall of China with a beer, you know, in this remote part of, of this war. It was just absolutely That's bizarre. Brilliant. But yeah. So, um, building a business then, mm. this is what a, a lot of people are, would, will be interested in. What was it? What was it like those early years? You, you spoke about your vision um, for the business, uh, and obviously you started two thousand six. So we know what happened a couple yeah, of years later. Absolutely. How did you get through that time when you, you probably thought, actually, do you know what we're doing? All right, building a business, and then whoop, yeah, everything comes crashing down. That's exactly what happened. You know, we, 2006, February, we set up. It was me, myself, and I, and that region's office in Guildford. And we got to about 25 strong by 2008. And mm. this is good. You know, it's a super growth. You know, the market was exploding. Northern Rock, Lehman's happened, mm. blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and suddenly, you know, we were getting uh, all of those calls with lenders uh, pulling out of the market, stop lending, et cetera, et cetera. It was, it was, it was mayhem, you know. And, and I know many will resonate, maybe not quite on the same scale, but, you know, very similar in the last... Uh, um, you know, a couple of months. Yeah. Um, and, and it was really tough um, because I had set the business up myself. Um, I, but I was a 30-year-old at the time, Chinese guy in a, a generally middle-aged uh, white environment. Yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't feel uh, confident enough to do this by myself. So I um, reached out to a couple of friends. One was a chap who I met when I worked at Chesington World Adventures. He was going to be the sales director. And the other one was someone I used to work at Deutsche Bank with, and he was a uh, you know more of a white, uh, middle-aged, uh, mm. middle middle-class man. Um, and I felt that I needed to have mm. that kind That's of combination really yeah. uh, when I when I set up the business. Um, and you know, we, we see each other all the time at these dues. But I remember going to the dues in the early days and thinking this is so intimidating. I'd stand mm. there in the cocktail room, didn't know anybody, yeah. and I'd stand there by myself, barely no mates, you know. But I said I'm yeah. going to stick this out. I didn't want to drink too much to make an idiot of myself, but I wanted to kind of slowly build myself up, the brand up, the business up, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it was tough, and 2008 came and, and hit us hard, and we had to downsize uh, quite aggressively. But I guess the fact that we were still a young startup allowed us to be agile, mm. and I think that's one of the uh, benefits of being a smaller company in, in a tough environment, mm. is make sure you have that agility, make sure you have the ability to make tough decisions um, and, uh, you know, and, and be decisive about them. Because you know, if you dither too much, if you prolong things, that's where um, challenges can happen. Mm. So credit crunch is over and, and um, you're starting to build your business back up again. I think you, by that time, those that uh, your two partners had, had left and exited, they, yeah. they felt that they couldn't stick it out. Yeah, I mean, you know, dare I say, it, from a personal perspective, probably the uh, the best deal I could have done because you know yeah. they didn't want to stick it out because we weren't paying ourselves. You know, get the vine mm. and out. Probably like many, you know, two thousand eight to two thousand eleven didn't pay ourselves a penny. Um, but luckily, I had a portfolio I could fall back on. The other two, you know, weren't willing to do that and didn't maybe believe in the vision. And the market was tough. Um, so by then, um, you know, I, I guess at the bottom of the market, I bought them out, um, and I had hundred uh, percent control of the business. Um, and yeah, they'd exit, and we were actually in a, a room not too dissimilar from this one, Tim. We all wrote <laughs> right, okay. a piece of paper, you know, who wants to stay and who wants to go. Uh, yeah. They both said stay. I said, um, sorry, I said stay. They both said go. Um, and you know, you kind of uh, reflect again of those pivotal moments and what yeah. path you took. You know, that 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 second just changed the direction of the business yeah. and where I took it. But you never wavered in in your vision and what you knew that 
that you could do and what you could achieve in Correct. terms of in terms of the company and the type of company you wanted to build. I was passionate about service. I knew that we what we were offering was better than our competition in, in the mm. space of buy to let, um, and I just wanted to, um, you know, I'm quite single minded. In, in, in hopefully a good way in that you know if I set that goal not too dissimilar for my dad you know he knew mm. he was going to come to the UK and he was going to go there uh, no matter what and I uh, believed in the property market I believed that it would come back and we would be positioned well to take advantage of that yeah. by focusing on some of the infrastructure the systems um, so when the market did return we would be leading the curve and um, you know thankfully I, I was you know uh, lucky enough and pr proven right mm. from that perspective so I never wavered. So it was. It was. So actually, from my own memory, you're you're right about. Um, you know, there, there was definitely a very different atmosphere after the credit crunch yes. and before. And I can understand why you would feel uh, maybe like a, an outsider at those times. So certainly, yeah. some of the events. I mean, yeah. I felt like an, an outsider at some yeah. of those events. Yeah. Um, did that? Have you noticed that change from a? Um, and and did that happen sort of immediately after that? You know, a lot of the cowboys left the industry yeah. and actually it was a much better industry for it, a bit better regulation. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, we've been working hard to try and change, change the, the industry and make sure it is more, um, not only more diverse, we can get more diverse people in, but also that if, so, if there's another young ying going to an event, then surely they shouldn't feel, feel yeah, as, as an outsider. Yeah. And have you found that? actually really starting to change oh, i mean the industry has come on leaps and bounds in the last 10 or 15 years and and you know I've, I, I hope to think that i've been involved in some small part mm. of that you know and if i oh, see absolutely. someone yeah. that's standing on themselves in, in the cocktail room i, I, I actually go out and mm. actively trying to bring them in and you know and introduce myself and ask who they are and that type of thing but you know i think um you know I, I, as you know i'm hugely passionate about the industry and, and a massive fan of what uh, the mortgage industry has achieved and i think you know, um, not saying or prejudging what it was like back in you know the mid two thousands, but I think where we are now, you know, the the champions and the leaders that we have that are driving mm. this industry forward is just hugely inspiring. Um, and um, you know, you're clearly uh, one of those, um, and I also look up to. You know, uh, you mentioned that uh, I inspired you. I think it's fair to say you've inspired me <laughs> along your journey as well. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, so yeah, I think um, I think there's a real uh, pendulum swing now. Uh, it's certainly more diverse, hugely more inclusive. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think I'm certainly not. I don't act alone when. You know, when you're at these events where it used to be seen as a little bit old school boy, you know, uh, network mm. and, and very clicky. Yeah. Now it's just quite a different vibe to it. And, and, and long may that continue. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, without leaders like you, you know, we we need we need people for for the young yeah. yings and, and, and the, any young people coming in to look up to and, and think, OK, yeah, there, there is a place for me. I can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's not about what I look like. I don't need to fit a, a stereotype, stereotype or, yeah. or, or a, a perceived norm so that's hugely agreed. important yeah, agreed. um so what um what were your what were your biggest life lessons what what were the biggest knocks yeah personally or or business that that have taught you there's a there's a few you you well, mentioned there's in the book. a few. I mean, the yeah. book title, for example, um, that's uh, not a massive knock, but it, it 
was a big lesson mm. um, to, to kind of wind back why um, the title is Don't Push Too Many Trolleys. It was my <laughs> it's first day. a great day. title. Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was my first day. I worked at ASDA. I was probably 17, you know, yeah. uh, doing my A-levels, doing a part-time job. You know, I remember getting a job at ASDA, you know, and I was like, oh, what, a trolley boy. You know, I could have been in checkouts or working produce <laughs> or the warehouse, but but a trolley boy, that's like the lowest of the low type of thing. But, you know, um, I, I did it, and I remember quite emotionally actually that my mum I never knew this until much later but my mum would come and watch me in the car park and oh, you know no, she would really? she would be really upset that I had to work um, you know because they couldn't afford to give me yeah. and she would cry in the car because I was pushing trolleys was pissing down with rain and and you know that you know I, I reflect on that and I think God you know um you know, while she didn't stop me because clearly mm. she knew I needed the money, yeah, um, because they couldn't provide for me. You know, you kind of think, that, and that's you know links back again to my drive and why I wanted to be mm. successful. So I didn't, <coughs> my, my children didn't have to have the same. Um, but um, yeah, the the, the the title really comes because on my first day working at ASDA, I was uh, being the competitive winner I was I remember some guy challenged me said look I, I can push 15 trolleys I said 15 trolleys I'll do 20 and I'm literally there having no idea you know didn't realize it was an art to push trolleys but believe you me it is an art um, one is bad enough and I try and push 15 or 20 there so I was pushing it and I, I kind of veered off to the right and I go right this is lost control and I smashed into this span spanking new BMW um, and it was a life lesson for me because uh, whilst, you know, obviously the, as the I'd paid for the um, the um, the damage repair and all that type yeah. of stuff, I remember being hauled into the uh, the manager's office and, you know, got a good scene to. And um, I kind of thinking, God, you know, what could I have done better? And I said, you know what, first of all, I tried to, you know, spin too many mm. plates. You yeah. know, I tried to um, push too many trolleys effectively and juggle too many balls. And, and you know, I, I should have maybe not taken it all at once. And, and that was a massive life lesson for me. I didn't necessarily learn from it because I think later, which I again describe in the book, um, I was really busy in the year 2000 and um, my mum and dad just retired to go back to Malaysia. Mm. And um, I was moving house from Wimbledon to Surrey Keys near Canada Water. Um, but I sold the place and really I should have allowed the two, you know, to, to kind of be seamless so I could move from one to the other, but I hadn't. I was effectively living out of my car. Um, and I was quite... Um, what's the word possessive over my possessions yeah. and I said rather than keep my valuables somewhere I'm just going to keep it in a car you know safe there so I chucked everything in the car um, and I was just tuned too many things it was year 2000 I was going to surprise my mum and dad to go to, to Asia on a kind of a last minute Malaysia trip and, and surprise them I was really busy with the Y2K project um, at Deutsche Bank um, I was trying to do renovations I was trying you know and I was still trying to enjoy my life you know I was just taking on too much um, and someone broke into the car and stole everything. And it was, I don't know oh, if you have no. a briefcase or anything yeah. like that, but I've got a briefcase. I certainly did then where I had my, you know, my birth certificate, my passports, you know, mm. my valuables, et cetera, et cetera. And there was nothing hugely monetary value, um, but it had a couple of possessions from my grandmother, um, mm. you know, and uh, she'd only recently died a, a year or two before that. Um, and, you know, obviously that had all gone. So it, it taught me a lesson again, and firstly from the, the trolleys, but secondly, uh, from that moment where my car got broken into when I was just trying to do too much that, you know, I need to take a step back in once when I'm doing yeah. something to focus on one. And I think that helped me in, in building the buy-to-let business because I wanted to focus on just that buy-to-let niche initially. It's very easy to go, oh, but residential, you can make money. Mm. Second charge mm. is bridging. I said, I know that, but I need to become the best at buy-to-let first. And, and that was the, the, the mindset we took. Of course, we branched out into all the others afterwards, but yeah. I, we became the best at buy-to-let first. Um, and I think those lessons, you know, and at the time you don't realize it, right? You go, God, why is the world like this to me? 
But I think what, how the, the philosophical person I've tried to be is you know, everything that happens for a reason. And if I can learn from those mistakes to ensure that further downstream I can help navigate a situation or challenge better because of those lessons, mm. then it's a lesson well served. And yeah. that's how I view those two quite painful things for me personally. Um, but I generally believe it's helped me further in life because of the lessons learned. That's really interesting. And and there's there's something that really inter- interested me as well. You you wrote about the con- this concept of greed versus, versus ambition, ambition yeah. which I really liked. Um, and you said, greed is about the individual and the individual's needs and desires. Ambition is about your team and even the world at large. It's your contribution to the bigger picture. Yeah. Can you delve into that a little bit more where where did that come from is that something you say to your teams and etc I don't necessarily say it to my team but it's something that I've always thought about and reflected on Um, you know I've always been ambitious Mm. you know but I've often thought what what is the difference between ambition and greed because you know what does ambitious mean is it to I want to you know own the world and have private jets and uh, you know uh, have lots of money in the bank um and, you know, I've always thought that I am ambitious, but it's not been that product of money. Of course, we all want money. No one's mm-hmm. going to say, no, they don't want money. Um, and I certainly am not one of those. But at the same time, my purpose for building my business wasn't about the exit that I ultimately got, which made me financially very well off, mm-hmm. but more about the impact I would have on other people, the clients that we serve, but also the people that came through that journey. And I think that's what ambition is. Um, you know, I'm not sure if that's a, a technical response or if you Google it, whether that is. But in my head, you know, ambition is something where you've got that drive and hunger and that goal. And it's not just about you. It's about the people and the journey. And, you know, my greatest achievement, without doubt, you know, when people ask me, what is your greatest achievement? They expect me to say, oh, I started, scale and sold a business. Yeah, that was great. And it was a byproduct. But it was a byproduct of my real greatest achievement was the the impact that I had on people who came on that journey, who, you know, we used to have the saying at, at, at the Bite Lip, it doesn't matter if you're a burger flipper from McDonald's or an MBA graduate from Harvard, if you've got the right mindset, yeah. we'll bring you on board. And um, we recruited so many at the time. Many failed. I'm not going to say that it was always mm. 100% of success, but many went on to do great things. And they didn't have great qualifications. They didn't have, you know, decorated career history. You know, in fact, I would very rarely look at their CV, would bring them in, would interview them. And have, has that person got the right mindset and attitude to really mm. be successful? And to me, empowering those people and building that team and, and growing that business um, is, is uh, and, and that growth mindset and investment mindset is uh, very different to a spending mindset and uh, that just end monetary goal. Because look, let's face it, you know, there's no difference between myself and Elon Musk in reality, apart from his very healthy bank balance, <laughs> is because we all have one life. Yeah, and it's like what we do with that one life, uh, and and the grand scheme of things, without wanting to get too deep and f- philosophical, you know, someone once told me there were more grains of sand on this earth, you know, uh, sorry, there are more planets in the in, in the solar system than there are grains of sands on this earth, which gives you perspective, right? <laughs> yeah, and it kind of makes you <laughs> realize, like that. you know, it makes you realize <laughs> yeah. that we're just an insignificant nothing, really. So make the most of what you got, and and to me, making the most of what you got is leaving a legacy and helping other people along the way, and uh, growing something, and, and that's ambition, mm-hmm. um, and and greed is maybe just wanting the end goal. Yeah, that's really interesting, and and you also write about. The best rewards are the hardest one, um, and so so new people coming into the industry mm. now. Obviously, we talked about they're, they're different. They were they're, 
they they want everything yesterday. Yeah. What what's your advice to to them generally? Pretty old school. Knuckle down, hard, work hard. You know, I think, you know, and that's what that you know the greatest rewards, um, you know, come the hardest for effectively. And that's that's that you know nothing comes easy in life. You know, uh, I think if, unless you're very few lucky that you know win the lottery or at the right time at the right place, um, and even the right time in the right place, I have to say that you make your own luck because. Mm. You know, if you're, you know, that's just a sales call. You can say, oh, I got lucky. I did that. I won that sales business because, um, you know, I was in the right time, right place. Well, possibly, but possibly not. It's maybe it's because you were proactive in calling and reaching out to customers um, and you did it on such a regular basis that you made your own luck and you made yourself in that right time. You're not going to be in the right time, right place if you're just sitting on your backside. So um, I think that the advice really to, to newbies coming into the market is that, you know, it's a great industry that will reward you if you work hard. But, you know, it won't come easy. You're going to have to roll up your sleeve and you're going to have to have a lot of long, hard... You know, we used to get our guys through, you know, bear in mind a lot of them didn't have academic backgrounds. You know, mm. we used to get them through CMAP in a couple of months and at the same time learn about the industry. Some of these people couldn't even spell mortgage, let alone, yeah. you know, write a mortgage. Um, and those first three or six months were just brutal. And, and they weren't, you know, we, we have a pipeline business. You know, any mortgage I write, even if I wrote a mortgage on day one, I probably wouldn't get paid for it. And yeah, that's right. Yeah. month four or five yeah. at best and the reality is you're not going to write a mortgage on day one because you're still learning so you know you, you can't expect to really earn money in probably until two, three, four years and that's quite difficult because the structure we had was a very low basic so you're going oh, Jesus you know am I ever going to earn any more and it's having that belief the trust in the people around you mm. trust in the blueprint in the system and be and listen to the knowledge around you um, and if you follow those basic principles you will maximise your um, opportunity for success and um, so you've exited. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. That's right. How big was the business when you when you exited? Well, at, at its largest... You don't need to give me figures. No, but, I, mean, I mean, in terms of people, people Well, I mean, headcount, the largest was about 2018. We were just shy of two, uh, 200, about wow. 194, I remember. Wow. Thing. But okay. when we actually exited off, off the backdrop of COVID, I think we were kind of in the early 100s. Yeah. Um, and I think they're, I think they're kind of in 120, 130, yeah. 140 strong, whatever it might be. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, um, it, it was great you know and it was something that uh, some people think it was oh god that was very quick but actually i did a deal countrywide in 2016 um and um it was kind of a, a five-year plan with them mm. um and and obviously that came in 2021 and it just happened obviously countrywide well documented and some challenges that they had yeah. uh, um, towards the end of that time uh, but you know connell's came in and um with that got the um right uh to to exercise the option um, mm. at a price that we were both agreeable at um, so yeah, you know, it's worked really well for me, and, and was was the plan. People often ask, was that the plan at the beginning? And we wrote a, a business plan. I think it was a ten-year business plan uh, mm. in the early days, and it took fifteen years. But yeah, it was to grow and to scale and to sell the business. And um, the, the intention was always always to do that. And I was I've always been relatively open, you know, uh, in in discussing that. Um, but yeah, it's it's been great, and it is. Uh, given me the free time you know I, i'll do a lot more lunches now um <laughs> i come on great podcasts like this which i don't think i would have if i was running a, a business you mm. know because you're just so busy doing what you do right um and uh yeah you know it's it's great um you know semi-retired is, is a loose term you know because I, I would probably still say i'm reasonably actively involved yeah. but it's very different completely different to mm. running a, a, a large business hands-on um, you know, I have a lot more time. I spend a lot of time with my family. I don't never work Fridays. I work six, mm. eight hour days rather than 12, 15 hour days. So. <sighs> Living the dream, you. Wow. <laughs> I'm still in <laughs> 47. In the but, yeah. And then that goes I back know. to what I say is, you know, you put in that effort in the early days, you know, because, 
you know, people talk about work life balance and, and that's great. Um, and, and, you know, I'm a big advocate with that, but when you're starting a business, that's very difficult to actually mm. achieve. You know, I don't think I achieve that. I certainly achieve it now. Um, but I had to kind of make it very one sided. I was very, I had to really invest in my work in the early days while I was building that business. And, mm. you know, um, it's, it's, it's not as easy as people think just the work life balance. You know, if you want to build a career, if you want to, um, you know, build a business that's successful. Um, but you know, you put the hard graft in now to, to don't have to put in such hard graft later in life is, is yeah. probably the best way to describe it. So now you're, you're FinTech. Yes. And doing all stuff look, like I'm, that. I almost yeah, you brought my, you know, fintech, well, I was going to say, I almost brought my holy jeans in, but I think like that's too much. I wasn't sure if it was a, a TV podcast or, or an audio. No. Um, so yes. Um, you know, I mean, it's been great. Uh, Knowledge Bank is obviously one of the investments I've done. Yeah. I'm non-executive chair there, and and Nicola and her team uh, do a, do a fantastic job and and a great tool that they provide for the marketplace. And they've got some really exciting new products that they're hopefully going to be bringing in over the next twelve or eighteen months to not just the broker community but the lending community. Right, but interesting. I'm also, you know, when we built Dynamo, we built a really good tech product as mm. well. You know, a CRM system effectively, but no one knew about it. But I think it was. 10 years ahead of its time and, and you know on part of some of the great systems that are out there now but this was 10-15 years ago mm. but no one knew about it because it was just for our business um, so tech has always been at the forefront of everything that I've done um, and you know you know, I, I'm really passionate and if there is a passion on me since I've exited it's that I still believe and as I know you do that there's so much that we as an industry do that is monotonous, mundane rep repetition, yeah. duplication yeah. And with all the money that's been chucked into the industry, no one's yet cracked it. No, they um, haven't. And there is a bit of me being the kind of the drive and hunger and ambitious person I am that I, I want to be one of those people to help solve that issue because, um, you know, it's just so, so frustrating when you see the kind of monotonous manual tasks that are still going on. I know everyone uses the comparison. I look at Netflix and then what happened to Blockbuster, yeah. look at Uber. And, and clearly mortgages is a very different beast with all the intricacies and different parties mm. that are involved. But that said, there is enough technology out there now to make it far more straightforward and simpler to and, and pain, you know, um, less painful for, for the customer, uh, which is ultimately what we're trying to benefit here yeah. for that process of applying mortgage. It's still so terribly long and painful. And, and why? You know, what can we do more? And, you know, I am, as long with lots of many other people know that really want to try and solve that problem. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> I need it. <laughs> We've been waiting a few it's years. We've so. far too long. Yeah. 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 Um, so I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. Um, but there two, I've got two last questions. Yes, go on. What is the best single piece of advice you've ever had and who is it from? Um, problem, I mean, there's lots of different... I, I mean... I said lots of that. I've never had a mentor, which people find quite mm. strange. I've never had a mentor, someone to look up to. I, I act as a mentor to a lot of people at the moment, but I've never had a mentor myself. You know, my mentor was my sister and my mum and dad. And my mum and dad didn't come from um, a business or academic mm. background. Um, but there was one thing that always sticks with me, my mum said, and it's just to keep it simple. You know, keep it simple. Yeah. And I often revert back to that when I'm trying to complicate things, especially, you know, talking about tech and you start doing these workload <laughs> processes and you're going, Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, and, and it's just to keep it simple. And, um, you know, I, I often remind myself that I've got to keep it simple when I try to complicate things too much. And, and I think having that clarity has really helped me in life. Um, and if I was to choose another one, and it wasn't necessarily advice per se, but it was the example which my dad taught me, 
Um, and that was, uh, you know, as we touched on it earlier, you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it. Because mm. I think that's one of the strongest reasons why I've had been able to build a strong team which has been loyal and, 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 and uh, very good cultures because mm. if I said I have something to do that I would deliver it because that's when if, if you say something and you don't deliver that's where negativity tox yeah. a toxic yeah. environment yeah. comes in place and, you know and but but you've got to be careful to make sure that when you do say it you can actually follow through of it that you yeah. know because some things just can't be achieved so uh, but give transparency Monty you know if, if you can't achieve it explain why you can't achieve yeah. it and I think uh, even though they don't understand why you've made those decision, they understand it's for the best for the business um, and you've given them rationale of why you're doing what you're doing and I think yeah. those simple bits of advice has helped me you know, grow, grow the business um, <laughs> and I don't know why I thought of this question if you could meet anyone in history who would it be and what question would you ask them you know I've um, often thought this question and uh, I think some people probably think you're going to go with someone famous but mine uh, and you've already probably got gathered the theme that I'm a family man yeah. five kids you yeah. know, my roots are really important yeah. is actually my great grandfather he went came from China to Malaysia in 1920 right. and he changed his surname um, so originally I'm not a tan um, so um, I'd like to ask him why he changed that surname because there were stories going around that he'd you know, he'd been a bit of a rascal and, um, you know, left China under bad terms and, you know, kind of <laughs> jumped that. into a boat and uh, changed his surname. And, you know, we've tried to do some digging. And I don't know, I'm really into DNA and yeah. I've done DNA testing to try and trace roots, but we've never got to the answer. And that's the one thing that I'd love to know. Um, so I'm only really a, a fourth generation tan, really. Yeah. Um, even though, interestingly, and this will be really blow your mind, we did, uh, we engaged a genealogist um, mm. recently who was able to trace our roots back to 115 generations no on the, way. on the male line it was like wow. absolutely blew my mind um and um he related to some kind of emperor of, the yellow emperor yeah. who's like the supposed to be the they can trace the lineage back to the yellow emperor who's like that's considered wow. the, the founder of the chinese race yeah um which was just blew my mind frankly that's um, extraordinary yeah um but you know because I guess here in the West, you know, all our records are kept uh, centrally. So if you want to look for death certificates, birth certificates, yeah. but that only goes back three or four hundred years. In Asia and China, they keep it in the family temples. So you know, if you right, kind of know okay. what yeah. villages your your your, your great grandparents came from, you can go there and then you can kind of trace it all back. A lot of it was ruined and, and burnt in the wars, yeah. of course, but many still exist. So so that so going back to your question, you know, I think um, in 1920, my great grandfather went uh, left China uh, to go to Malaysia. Um, and he was only a young lad, and there's loads of stories that I've heard growing up, but I'd like to ask him, you know, why? Why did you change, uh, you know, your surname, and what was the reason? And if it was something bad, to, to, to tell him, you know, don't worry about it, you know, because yeah. uh, I'm sure that was not an easy thing to do, to leave family under potentially mm. difficult circumstances to start a new life somewhere and kind of a new identity, so. There you go. That's Thank fascinating. You. Thank you so much. Oh, Monty, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been really, really interesting. I'm sure loads of people get so much from that. And thank you for being, well, the inspiration you are, Ying, to, to you. so many people. Thank you. And I uh, really appreciate you. And you know, thank you for all you do for, for the industry as well. So thank you all so much for listening. And if you do like this, then do please pass it on to others. Leave a rating or a review in your podcast app. Um, I have 15 people already lined up from all walks of life um, to come and talk to us and I'm sure you'll be interested to hear their journeys and the paths that they have taken to get where they are today. 
This is the Pathfinder Podcast. May the path you take be the right one for you.